Acts 5. Acts 5, 17. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up there. Uh, And we're trying to study the early Christian community to find out what we can learn about the church and the church's ministry and the church's place in the world. And what we've seen so far is the church is this true and beautiful and good community that carries out the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Spirit to the ends of the earth. Now, as you can imagine, as they carried out that ministry, they faced continual opposition from inside the church and from outside the church. Uh, Yet, despite that opposition, they continued to preach and teach with power, and God continued to add to their number daily those who were being saved. So I think as you read through the story, you have to ask yourself, what gave them the courage to face such, such stiff opposition? We're going to find out this week. Their courage came uh, from their hero. So we're going to talk about heroes from Acts 5. We're going to start in verse 17. Please read along with me. Hear the word of the Lord. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors And brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people, all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to prison, to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked. And the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. 
you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called on the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training of righteousness. So the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. Let's give our attention to it. Who is your hero? Or who are your heroes? Uh, That seems like a classic icebreaker question, no matter what age you are, right? Uh, I know whenever I was growing up, I had lots of heroes. I, I was a kid who, whatever movie he watched or whatever book he read, that was the hero that he wanted to be. I remember uh, being a little boy and uh, acting like I was Tarzan, jumping around all the furniture in the living room. You can imagine how my mom appreciated that. And uh, I remember watching Karate Kid and then going out in the front yard and doing crane kicks to defeat the Cobra Kai. Then asking my mom to make me a Karate Kid Halloween costume. Uh, I remember getting really into He-Man. Those of you Gen Xers who loved some He-Man, I remember dressing up as He-Man for Halloween one year. Uh, as I got older, my, uh, my heroes shifted uh, to athletes like Bo Jackson. And when I would come home from school, I would take a tennis ball and I would bounce it off the roof. And I would run and try to make diving catches like Bo Jackson. And for some reason, I never made them. I can't imagine why. As I, as I grew up and, and got older and got into college, uh, my heroes became uh, Christian leaders and Christian ministers who, who read and studied the word and devoted their lives to ministering to others. Uh, and now, <laughs> in, my, in my 40s and parenting and sort of in the trenches of parenting every day, my heroes are those parents and those grandparents that continually sacrifice their lives for their kids. So I know how difficult and challenging that is. So who are your heroes? We all have them. Uh, Christian and non-Christian thinkers agree that we all want and need heroes. Well, in this passage, Peter courageously preaches the gospel to these religious leaders who want to destroy him and end the movement that Jesus began. And he says something very interesting about Jesus. He calls Jesus the leader and savior. And that word leader is is really interesting because in the Greek, that word is archegos. I don't know this for sure. This actually didn't come up in my study, but I'm guessing that's where we get the term archetype uh, from something like that. Some of you you, you Latin scholars out there can... can, uh, can tell me that later, but he uses this word archegos, which is only used four times in the New Testament, and it's translated something different every time. Uh, it's translated author in Acts 3. It's translated founder or trailblazer in Hebrews 2 and 12. And here it's often translated leader or prince. But interestingly enough, when you see this term used outside the Bible, It's used most often to describe the Greek gods like Zeus and Hercules. And it's translated hero. Uh, What Peter 
is saying here is that Jesus is the hero of the church. He's saying that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he became our hero. And not only our hero, but the hero of the entire cosmos. Uh, So this morning, as we look at this passage, what I want you to see is that in the gospel, we find the hero that we all want and that we all need. And that hero does three things. He brings healing, he brings life, and he brings honor. The gospel gives us a hero that brings healing, life, and honor. Now, the first thing you see in this passage is that uh, Jesus is a hero that brings healing. Now, we didn't read this section, but before Jesus gets imprisoned, or not Jesus, Peter and the apostles get imprisoned, uh, they are healing and preaching Verses 12 through 16 describe the apostles doing many signs and wonders, including healing the sick and casting out evil spirits in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus. So multitudes of people, they saw these signs. They saw the power of Jesus. They they heard this preaching. They believed the message. They experienced healing. And they were added to the Lord's number daily. Multitudes of people. And you see this sort of parallel between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the apostles. Jesus was preaching about the kingdom and healing people. And the apostles were preaching about the kingdom and healing people. What is happening? These are signs that the great king has come and that his great kingdom has come. And that through this great king and this great kingdom, a healing has come to the earth. A healing that Tolkien alludes to in Lord of the Rings when he says, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so healing hands. And so the rightful king could ever be known. And so we we see passages like this and we ask ourselves, okay, is this healing ministry still active today? And how? And there's two pretty much opposite approaches to healing ministries today. One approach is to say that the kingdom has fully come. That through life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom is fully here. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are guaranteed healing in this life. Right? And they place the emphasis on the the supernatural, miraculous healing of the kingdom. Well, the, the polar opposite sort of view of that is that, yes, the kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully here. It's not yet fully realized, right? These, these signs were signs that were done by the apostles and by Jesus. And until Jesus returns, we cannot experience healing in this life. They're merely signs meant to point us to Jesus. And so this view emphasizes the ordinary means of grace, So you have these polar opposite views, one that says that the kingdom is fully here and one that says the kingdom is not yet here. And so we're we're stuck in the middle asking ourselves, well, which is it? I think it creates this false dichotomy between the kingdom's already and not yet aspects. I think what we see through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come, but it's not yet fully here. So we can experience some healing in this life, but not full healing until Jesus comes back. And I think our 
our denomination actually put out a really helpful uh, paper that balances this view, and I just want to read it to you what it says. It says, In the scripture, certain clusters of miracles were associated with various servants of God and related to the giving of revelation. Such miracles were signs by God communicated by divine truth or confirmed that speaker indeed spoke from God. These miracles related to revelation have ceased since revelation was completed with the closing of the canon in the New Testament area. However, Scripture also uses the term miracle or wonder to describe the acts of God in all areas of creation and providence. And the power of God in response to believing prayer to work wonders and to heal the sick cannot be limited. And they cite James 5. Such wonders certainly do to this day, certainly do continue to this day, and are all for the glory of God, not man. Right. So what are they saying? They're saying, yes, there were certain miracles, signs, and wonders that were done during this time to authenticate the power and the message of the apostles. But the scriptures also teach that we can still now have real, true healing in this life, substantial healing. It's not guaranteed, but it is present, and it is active. And so, because Jesus is this hero who brings this healing, we can pray for spiritual and physical healing. And we trust God with the results. Let me give you two examples. I have a friend who is a PCA minister. He's a pastor in our denomination. He had a daughter who, well past the age of when you're supposed to walk, could not walk. And they took her to several doctors, neurologists, pediatricians, physical therapists, They couldn't figure out what was wrong other than she had severely low muscle tone. So they prayed and they took her to physical therapy, uh, but nothing seemed to work. Well, one Sunday, our church uh, had a healing service where the elders would lay hands on people and pray for them to be healed. So they brought their daughter up to the front and they asked the elders to pray for her to be healed. And they did. That next week, my friend was driving around in his car He was thinking about his daughter. He was praying for his daughter. And he prayed that no matter what, whether she was healed or not healed, that God would help them live by faith. And minutes after he prayed that prayer, the the physical therapist called him and said, hey, you've got a real problem on your hands. And his heart sank. And she said, because your daughter started walking this morning. And she's going to be walking everywhere. Was she healed? Sure seems like it. God, they prayed for her to be healed, and they trusted God with the results, and he provided that healing. Uh, My story was different. I was born with a congenital heart defect, uh, one that uh, is not uncommon for for kids. Um, uh, Well, it is is uncommon, but I was born with a heart defect, and uh, if it wasn't repaired, then I would not have lived a normal, healthy life. So I went to the doctors and had my heart repaired, and they patched it up so I could live a normal life. But that, that heart condition left me with uh, emotional and physical scars. I, I really struggled with this heart condition throughout my, uh, my life. Well, whenever I was in my 20s, I went to a church who brought in a faith healer, and he said that anyone who has the faith to be healed can be healed. And so naturally, I said, well, I want to be healed. So I went down front, and I prayed, and I believed that God would heal me. And in the days and weeks following that, I I prayed. I sincerely tried to trust God for my healing as much as I could. 
And when I went back to my cardiologist that year for the checkup, nothing had changed. I wasn't healed. I still had this heart defect. So God didn't answer my prayer for physical healing. But in the midst of that, he did answer my prayer for spiritual healing. I realized that God had filled his, my heart with his love through the Holy Spirit. And that his love in this life was greater than any physical healing that I could ever think or imagine. So Jesus is the true hero that brings healing. He brings, in some cases, he does bring physical healing. But in some cases, he only brings spiritual healing in this life. But he does bring healing, and he does bring life. And that's the second thing that we see, is that Jesus, the gospel gives us a hero that brings life. If you look at, back at verse 20, Peter is preaching the gospel, and he says, that, or actually the angel tells Peter, And the other apostles, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Uh, Now, what I think is interesting about that is in Acts 3, Peter called Jesus the archegos of life or the author of life. And now we have the, the angel here telling Peter to go preach the words of life. And then we have Jesus Peter calling Jesus the archegos of life. What is happening here, right? Don't you, don't you see the connection? Jesus is the author of life. Peter preaches the words of life because Jesus is the hero that brings life. He brings true life. He brings true healing. He is the hero that brings the true life that exists and we can experience it. And I think it's this, this search For true life lies at the heart of our hero obsession. Now, you're going to have to bear with me. I kind of nerded out this week on heroes. (laughs) I guess it's it's Halloween week, right? So, like, it's it's a fair thing to do. But but what I found is that Christian and non-Christian thinkers alike uh, both see this hero story that is constant across all people, across all cultures, at all times. Right? Uh, one, one scholar said that the story is, is basically the same, that there, is, uh, there are evil beings and evil forces that will capture s- someone or something, oftentimes a princess, and they will enslave that thing. And then, but then there's a good guy, right? And the good guy is raised up to go rescue this person or this thing. It's maybe a prince, Right? And he is aided by the forces of good. And somehow this hero goes and defeats the bad guy, rescues this valuable object, this valuable thing, and frees it so that it can go forth and experience life. And you see that story over and over again throughout history. You also see this pattern with heroes. Heroes are people who focus on their character over their appearance. Heroes are people who act on principle, not their feelings. And heroes are people who sacrifice themselves for others. You see this hero myth uh, throughout history, right? The Greeks worshipped heroes like Hercules. Uh, The Middle Ages, we romanticized heroes like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Um, 
During the, the modern period, I think our, our perception of heroes began to change, and we kind of saw heroes not as knights on horses, but as scientists in a lab in these white lab coats who could analyze, observe, systematize, and solve the problems of the world. Uh, but then in World War, and it was sort of this, this humanistic perspective that, you know, thanks to the, the material world and the scientists, humans were going to continue on this upward trajectory towards perfection and towards glory, towards life, maybe. And then World War I and World War II happened. And what happened? The, the most educated people in the world committed some of the most horrific crimes ever imaginable. And so uh, our, our, our ideas about what humanity could do through science just plummeted. And then we get into postmodernism after that. And what does postmodernism do? Postmodernism says that, well, everybody's biased. Everybody's flawed. There is no meta narrative. There are no heroes. And so what do we do? We create heroes that actually turn into villains. The lines between hero and villains began to be blurred in, in really popular television shows. Well, what's happened in the last few years? I think we've seen a resurgence in heroes thanks to the Marvel comic series. What happens? We once again have these heroes who are raised up with these superpowers to save the world from the evil forces. But they're not perfect heroes. They're heroes with vices and with virtue. And now, uh, tomorrow, you're going to have millions and millions of kids. They're going to do what? They're going to dress like superheroes. Maybe including the Hatfield kids. Why? What is our obsession with heroes? I think at our core, we know that we were created for something more than what we are right now. We were created for, to be greater people, to experience a greater life. And for some reason, we have fallen short of the glory that God created us for. Uh, there was an author in the 90s named Christina Kelly. She wrote for Teeny Bopper Girl Magazines. Kids' magazines are like blogs, but they're printed and people staple them, them together. And they read them, if you don't know what a magazine is. Uh, but Christina Kelly wrote this. Why do we crave celebrities? Here's my theory. To be human is to feel inconsequential. To be human is to feel inconsequential. So we worship celebrities and we seek to look like them. But it's so dumb with this stream of perfectly airbrushed, implanted, liposuction stars. You have to be an absolute powerhouse of self-esteem not, to totally, not to feel totally inferior before them. So we worship them because we feel inconsequential, but doing so makes us feel even worse. So we create these heroes that don't give life, they take life. And we attach ourselves to celebrities, to athletes, to models, to musicians, even to pastors. Why? We all want and need a hero to rescue us from the shame and guilt and fallenness of this life that we experience. But what do we find in the gospel? We find the true hero the true, good, and real hero, the hero behind all heroes, the archetype of hero in Jesus, right? What do we, what do we see in the gospel? That we are uh, enslaved and captured by the forces of evil in this world, uh, that sin and suffering have, have trapped us, and that we need to be rescued, that we had to be freed, 
And so God himself sent his one and only son to come and live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died, and to rise from the grave to defeat those evil forces, to defeat Satan, sin, and death, so that by faith in Jesus, we could be healed. Jesus had perfect character. Jesus always acted according to principle and not to his feelings. And Jesus ultimately sacrificed his life for us. And what you see in all the great hero stories is that the hero always sacrifices himself for another. I really, really agonized over which movie to spoil this morning. And I decided that I have to spoil Avengers Endgame. I'm sorry, but it's just too good, right? So you watch all the Avengers movies, and then you get to the end, and Doctor Strange says that there's 14 million possibilities for how they are going to fight Thanos. There's 14 million. They're trying to defeat the bad guy Thanos, but there's only one, one possible outcome in which they win, And what is that one possible outcome? Iron Man. The most selfish, self-centered, egotistical, obsessive Avenger of all of them has to give himself for the life of the world. And what does he do in the final battle? He he tears the the infinity stones off of Thanos' wrist he places them on his own he looks at dr strange and dr strange says one he holds up his fingers he snaps and in that instant his life is over and the rest of the cosmos is saved he was a hero because he gave his life for everybody else's that's what jesus did on the cross He's the true and greater hero because he gave his life for us. Not when we were princes and princesses, but when we were villains. You see, that's the thing that the fairy story gets all wrong is we always look at the fairy story and think we're we're the princess that's got to be rescued. But in reality, because of the radical self-centeredness of our heart, we're actually the villains. Jesus gave himself for the villains so that he could transform villains into his people. And he could transform his people into heroes that find a life of healing and life and honor. And that's the last thing that we see in this passage is the gospel gives us a hero that brings honor. The apostles are interrogated. They're beaten. They're told to quit preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And what does it do? What do they do? It says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And they go to every temple and every house and they do not cease to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus, the hero. He transformed this cowardly, ragtag group of peasants into heroes who count it worthy to suffer for his name. He gives them honor. He gives them courage. He gives them power. And as we find life and healing in Jesus, he gives us the same thing. 
He makes us people who care more about our character than our appearance. Ask yourself, how much time do I spend on my appearance versus how much time do I spend on my character? And thanks to the gospel, we can come to Jesus and be honest about our character. We can come and be honest about our flaws. If we're struggling with alcoholism, we can admit that. If we're struggling with lust, we can admit that. If we're struggling with greed and self-righteousness, we can admit that. We don't have to wear a mask like the other superheroes. We actually find life when we take the mask off. And we admit what's going on in our hearts. There, Jesus can heal us. We become the type of people who who don't give in to our feelings. We act on principle and not on feelings. We live in a world that's consumed with feelings and experiences. And what we see time and again in the great stories that the heroes are the ones who don't act on their feelings but act on principle. If we don't have Jesus as our hero, we will never have the strength to act on principle and not on feelings. In those moments of truth, we will always give in to our cowardice. But with Jesus as our hero, we can act on principle and then we can sacrifice ourselves for others. Because Jesus sacrificed himself for us, we become the kinds of people that can sacrifice ourselves for others, even in the face of persecution. Uh, <laughs> you see it throughout church history, in, in the, especially in these early years after the Christians Uh, church had taken root and began to grow, began to spread. They faced continual persecution. Under Nero, Christians were imprisoned and executed, including probably Peter and Paul. Under Domitian, they were oppressed when they refused to pay divine honors. People like John were exiled. Under Marcus Aurelius, believing Christians uh, were Uh, They were considered immoral. And that mob violence would break out and kill them. Under Decius, 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 sorry, I'm from Oklahoma. (laughs) Thousands of people were killed and burned. Under Diocletian, they tried to stamp out Christianity. They, They burned Christians. They confiscated scriptures. They tortured the clergy. They deprived them of citizenship. And yet the Christians continued in their faith. And the church continued to grow, even to this day. The oppression was so bad, but the growth of the church was so great that Tertullian said this. He said, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. Another Bishop wrote, without bleeding, the church fails to bless. Through the gospel, we have a hero that gives us great honor. And with that great honor comes a life of healing and of life and of gracious transformation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, our great hero, transforms us not into superheroes, but into his followers. And his followers who begin to to transform uh, this world for him. Who begin to see his kingdom come and his will be done. It's a transformation that takes place through grace. It's a transformation that takes place through the Holy Spirit. It's a a transformation that takes place not because of our power. 
And not because of our faith, but because of the, the one that whom we place our faith in, Jesus. I had uh, Jacob read that call to worship today because I just think it's a, it's a great picture of the healing power we have in the gospel. That, that that woman was not healed based on the strength of her faith, but based on the object of her faith. Jesus. Right? And what we have in Jesus is a great hero. The hero of all heroes. The hero that we want. The hero that we need. The hero that we can't live without By grace through faith in him, we can have the the life and the healing and the honor that we hope for. Uh, So let's let's go to God now in prayer. One of the things that we do after we read the word is we pray through it. We pray that God would help us apply it to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. Just like we can't understand this word on our own, we can't apply it on our own. So we go to God in prayer and we ask that he would make us this type of community, we ask that Jesus, would make a, that, that Jesus would be our hero and that we would be a community that's transformed by him. So let's go to the Lord and let's pray that now.